What a Friday. Heidi Glaus here. Josh Gilbert across from me. Connor over on the board. And it snuck up on us, I think. And it being the snow. I was sitting, drinking my coffee, and looked out the window, and it was just coming down. And then uh, made my way to an appointment slowly. Saw two accidents around uh, 11.30 on 64. Took about three times as long as it should have. And then made my way into work just rolling at about 10 miles per hour. So if you are out and about, please go slow and be careful. So you're the one who calls 4064. Yeah. Wow. What do you call it? 40. Mm. 40. I mean, both are acceptable. Both are correct. Right. I guess. But I uh, I thought it was, what's the rule of thumb? It's 64 in Illinois and it's 64 uh, when you get to Troy or something. Well, so that used to be the case because it didn't meet the qualifications, right? Yeah, it was a highway was, and then yeah. an interstate. But now that was the whole point of the... The rebuild of years back, right? To that turn now it, it's all to 64. turn it into sixty four. Yeah, so I'm saying it wrong. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know, trying to be kind on this uh, Friday. Let me tell you first of all what we have coming up. Josh mentioned this the other day and asked if I would wear a sweater made out of hair because a new H- human hair. Yes, Dutch company is trying this i guess we waste so much hair a lot of hair is turned into wigs uh i know human hair is used for wigs that we see in broadway shows all the time so what's the difference in putting it on your head and putting it over your shoulders to me not much but anyway we'll uh talk to a washington post reporter who kind of dug into this and we'll find out what he learned we'll also check in with andy field This story coming out of Russia with Navalny now being found dead, it probably not too surprising, but I'm I'm actually surprised that it took this long. I I would agree. And why now? Well, maybe Andy can sort through that for us. Then in the four o'clock, you know it's Friday, so we're gonna have fun with Mike Ward. Today we are switching out our wine glass. For a scotch glass. And do we call it a glass or is it a sniffer? What, what's the, I don't know. We'll ask Mike Ward because we're going to talk about his favorite scotch. And then uh, a little later in the 4 o'clock, we'll catch up with Royal Oaks ABC News to find out a little bit more about, you know, this verdict that just came down with uh, Donald Trump. And then in the 5 o'clock, we've got our top five at 5 We'll get an update on what's happening in Kansas City. I think they have two people uh, now arrested, arrested in custody, not arrested, but now they've been arrested. Yes. And charged, I believe. So we'll talk to Alex Stone about that. We've got some entertainment news and then we'll wrap this show up with some randoms. But the other day, this is kind of silly. It's probably been three or four years, and we bought a turntable at a 
church auction. And I love just sitting in there listening to it with a glass of wine. And it was probably a week ago. And Marsha wouldn't sit in the room with me because she didn't like the way it sounded. She's like, this, you know, the speakers, I, I like, that's all you got to say. All upgrade. So you've heard Connor say that he has some albums. I donated my uh, turntable to him, got our new turntable, and I've got a handful of albums. I want to know, though, like, what is the album I need to own and listen to start to finish? Because I know that you guys have suggestions for this because we're in the vinyl era here. I think that most people listening had the vinyl records when they were the only way to listen to music. But what is an album start to finish both sides that I need to own? I had the luxury of inheriting some of my parents' albums and Because I, they got rid of a turntable or they just don't do it anymore. I mean they were sitting in the basement for years. Collecting and I'm, dust. I'm the youngest. I think my sister was <laughs> busy or in college or something. She's the oldest. I'm the one that pulled them out and started playing them again. So I had first dibs and so I've got some good Beatles albums, originals. Yeah. You know? Um, because you try to buy, I went to the store to, to buy a Rolling Stones album. Cause like you, I'm like, I need the iconic classic mm-hmm. albums and uh, sticky fingers from the Rolling Stones. Granted, it's a double album is $55. Yeah. Not <sighs> cheap. What? You know, <laughs> head explodes. Um, what did you think it was going to cost you? I thought it was going to be comparable to buying a CD. You know, <laughs> when's the last time 20, you bought a CD? 20 bucks. I buy CDs from time to time and play them where? In the car, I upload them to the computer and then put them on my phone. <laughs> Do they really cost $20? A CD? I got to say, I've, I've never bought a CD. Ever? No. I was a kid, so I didn't oh, have money. And then God. by the time oh. I was downloading music, I would just download it. I can't believe we're post-CD. I mean, everyone's like, who buys CDs anymore? Connor has just informed me that, how old are you? 26. 26-year-olds. Never bought CDs. Well, not, I'm not going to say no 26-year-olds have bought a, a mean, CD, but I have. Think of the time. Yeah. He, but he had probably an iPod. Yeah. So it's, a, you know, I, it like was we just listened different. to CDs when I was a kid, but I Apple didn't buy music. them, uh-huh. right? That was. Connor's that was, got stories of him pulling his mom's old CDs out of the, the well, closet. Well, that is. <laughs> yeah. What? No, we had the, we had like the binder in the car. Oh, yeah. Be yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Can you pull out this one for me? You ought to see the Tupperware containers, plural, mm. in my basement of <laughs> CDs. But there's just something about putting that vinyl under that needle mm-hmm. and hearing With that the pop. Pops, the Some Peter Frampton Live, love it. Cat Stevens, T for the Tillerman. Great album. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Led Zeppelin. Oh, Dark Side. Yep. Okay. Uh, That's one I don't own. Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Oh, wow. With Tchaikovsky. the cannons. Keep classical. the speakers low. <laughs> wow. I, but st- Sticks, Elton John, Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. That's j- You That'd know what? I do one. need that one. You're right. Uh, just saw Fleetwood Mac Rumors at a huge record store for thirty nine ninety nine. What? Right? Uh-huh. right? I do have Rumors. one Fleetwood Mac. The Who, Who's Next, Springsteen, Born to Run. Uh, I bought... Heart, Dreamboat Annie. That's a good yeah, one. that's a good one. Uh, Heart has more songs than you realize. 
when you start going through their catalog. Um, I bought the White Album as yeah. a Beatles fan. My parents didn't have it. I've got Let It Be. Uh, my mom had Let It Bleed by the Rolling Stones. I played that a lot. And I don't know who bought it or why we owned it, but now I have two copies for some reason. Michael Jackson's Thriller. I have that. Where you open it up and he's oh, got yeah. the tiger in his lap. Um, I have Grease, the soundtrack on I vinyl. have that too. <laughs> uh, and I've then I do sa- have got- some... Newer. I have Brandy Carlisle's albums. I have uh, Brandy Clark's album. But I just, I want to make sure that I have, yeah, I need Joni Mitchell, Blue, Carol King, Tapestry. I think those are some that need to be in the collection. Dire Straits, 1978. Our friend Susan Snow did sneak up on us. I've got Saturday Night Fever, which. They said that people would go see the movie and then immediately leave the theater and go to the record store to buy the soundtrack. And we were talking about Grammys and and um, album of the year and how Beyonce still hasn't won it. But Saturday Night Fever compilation album, even though it's mostly the Bee Gees, won album of the year. Well, soundtrack. somebody from the 618 says that that is a must. I think all the songs were hit. Somebody else, any Led Zeppelin album? Uh Paul McCartney, Flowers in the Dirt. And then our uh, friend Susan said that they have a turntable that uh, her husband bought when overseas in the 60s. We have tons of old albums, play them frequently, and it's awesome. You can go to the library and take out CDs, then download them at home. Did you know that? Beach Boys, Endless Summer. Rocky Horror Picture Show. In uh, my day, our first music system included huge speakers with woofer, tweeter, yes. yeah, and the tuner, amplifier, equalizer, cassette player, turntable. It, it was enormous, but good sounds. All of that stuff that you would think, I mean, that's 50-year-old technology. You could find that at a flea market. No, it's like ten grand online. It's crazy. It is collector's you know, item. I'm so mad that when my mom and dad moved here, you know, we'd clean some stuff out and we did not keep my dad had like the console uh turntable with the speakers built in that i believe probably weighed like six thousand pounds uh, yeah and took up a whole wall but you could store them you know inside like you could put your albums inside and had the other uh radio where you'd turn the dial and it it was super cool and i wish i would have kept that I've got uh, from my dad, Houses of the Holy, Led Zeppelin, and from Carney, we had a record store day, record store, come in one time years ago and said, what, what albums do you want? And he brought us free albums. I got Abbey Road and John got Led Zeppelin 3. And Carney left it under his desk for three years. So during the pandemic, nobody was coming into work. I just took it home with me. Does he have any idea? Well, I told him about Carter it. Doesn't he like have a, a turntable? He's got like a million vinyl records. Right. Yeah. So he's so not going to miss it. I don't think he's going to miss so it. So I'm sure he's listening to us while he's driving home in the snow. Carney, I've got your Led Zeppelin three, and you're not getting it back. <laughs> um, somebody said they have their dad's collection. Includes Count Bessie, Orchestra, Ellen Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra. Somebody said, tragic. I had three crates of the original vinyl albums in my basement. My basement flooded. All lost. All from Peaches and Street Side Wreckers from the 70s. I've been searching on the yard sale for the past three months for a Peaches crate. 
And it's just like an actual peach crate, yeah. but it's the perfect size for records. And it's got the old peaches logo on it. And if anybody's got one, text in 84126 on the Woods Basement Systems text line. I want to buy one. Really? John Eaton says he has the Carol King Tapestry in the original cellophane unopened. I wonder what you could get for that. You should open it and listen to it. Yeah. Stereo consoles are so popular again. They Somebody says they disagree with you. They bought a Sony complete set for at Goodwill for 10 bucks. You could probably resell that online for three grand. Play 2000 uh, watt system in my detached garage man cave. Yeah, it's... Is it okay? So here's another question for you guys: Is it nostalgia, or is it just really cooler to listen to it this way? Which is it? I would say it's nostalgia. I would say that unless you really have a good speaker system, mm-hmm. that it doesn't sound better than a CD. And you can go out and buy, I mean, you have to pay like $1.50 per song instead of 99 cents. But you can buy really high quality digital albums and singles, which sound even better. I think it's nostalgia. You do. I'm torn on it myself. Somebody said Harvest Moon, Neil Young, Cat Stevens, uh, Teaser in the Firecat album. Some audiophiles claim that black vinyl sounds better, but I love collecting colored vinyl and newly reissued music. I do too. And that, I have Macy Gray's album. I don't remember the title of that album that uh, was her most popular I one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Somebody else said they have a console AM FM turntable and it sounds great. The console. Yeah. My only problem is convincing my wife to put two giant speakers in the newly created uh, bookshelves on either side of our fireplace. I don't think I'm going to be able to get her on board. So now we've just got the the cheap all-in-one turntable, CD player, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, someone said that by CDs, LPs, EPs, our youngest son is a recording engineer. In L.A., his livelihood depends on your continued support. Somebody told me, and I can't imagine this is true, but an audiophile told me that tapes, cassette tapes, sound the best. Really? Is that possible? I don't think so. Is that true? I feel like tape had a a hiss to it, but not like a fun one like the record has. Oh, my gosh. Somebody has a Jane Fonda workout album. Cover. (laughs) Depicts her with legs. Yeah. Wearing the leotard, heavy leg warmers. I remember it. What songs are on it? Uh, somebody said they also bought a complete Sony stereo system with tower speakers for 20 bucks on Facebook Marketplace. That's crazy. Check Etsy and eBay for a Peaches Crate, somebody suggesting. I saw some but didn't check it out. And uh, listening to vinyl just brings back so many memories, especially trying to drop the needle oh, on one specific song. You got to count the lines. Yeah, you got to. Eh. And you're like, which one is it? And then carefully. You know, sometimes I like to just put it down, see what song it is, and then go, oh, okay, I'm, I need yeah. two more over. It's, that is something. And then I also have a, a handful of 45s. Do you still have. We are the world, by the way. Oh, you do? I do. Did you get it out after you watched the mm-hmm. doc? 
Do you still have, uh, was it Debbie Boone? You light up my life. That was your first 45. It's right there, and we're going to play it tonight. You still have it? She likes it or not. (laughs) We're going to sit in our living room, and we're just going to listen to vinyl today. As cheesy as that song is, I kind of like it. Josh, someone called in. uh, They sell those crates at the record exchange. Oh. Well, they do. That is a fantastic place. Well, I don't new ones? I don't know how long would a wood crate last, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, oh, they last a while. Forever. But if it's is it a problem if it's new? No, I'm just curious. You just want Are the, they are they making are they still I making I bet it's them? Uh, the old ones cuz everything that he does there and you can find all kinds of systems there too. It's you name it in media like files and uh, tapes and you're going to find it there. The whole upstairs, if you have you ever been to Record exchange. I've never been. So it's an old library. That's the one on Hanley, or Hampton. Hampton. It's an old, uh, old bank, old library, and the second floor. You walk into this like dark room, and it's just forty fives, which is fantastic. And then, you know, you have the you have certain things under the glass that are a little more pricey, but it's amazing. So many great albums. Any Bonnie Raitt album? Oh, I do need a Bonnie Raitt. What about the uh, brand of new turntable for us boomers to buy? Yeah, what what brand? My aunt said, I've got all these records uh, and I don't have a turntable. What should I buy? You know, and I I want to get her into one of those $99 ones. It's the modern portable with yeah. the handle, but you can sit it on your, your countertop. But does it sound good? Well, I think the key, and Connor, you can, you know, jump in on this since you have now what I used to have. I think it is adding your own speakers mm-hmm. because if the speakers are built mm-hmm. in, it's kind of like sure you can watch your television, but if you have a sound bar, it's going to be a little bit better. And so, I went with the Sonos system and they have a a turntable and a a speaker and, and it's, it's a is it a wireless speaker? Can you take it from room to room with you? It, you can turn it up and down on your phone, right? You can turn it up and down your phone, but it's not wireless. It's plugged okay. in. But I could take it to another room if I wanted to, but it does have to be a line in to the turntable. Sure. Okay. As so far as that goes. Corded. Yes. Um, well, I don't think you listen to it for the sound, right? Because you could just listen. All the recordings now, the streamings, are as good as you can get, right? So, right? That's so what you, I was, you want it to sound good, but it's uh, not... Two you know. in the camp of nostalgia, yes. right? I I, I disagree. My... I, I like the needle sound oh. of it, and I like, and I want to hear that loud over that speaker. My okay. dad and all of his buddies used to talk about the Marantz, which I guess is a brand of the... I think they're still around. The Marantz receivers and everything. When they would talk about it, they would just start melting. Like they were talking about... You know, Farrah Fawcett. Oh, my. Oh, mm-hmm. the Marantz. Oh, if I wish I still had that, you know. Isn't it funny the I, things that tears we get would rid come of to their eyes. and then regret? Yeah. Uh, Technics Turntable by Panasonic with Boston Acoustic Speakers, 1973 era. Great. Somebody said they still have their original Beatles 45 carrying case. I oh, that's you could fun. Get some money for yeah. that. Little River Band, Credence Albums. You guys keep the uh, the suggestions coming. I'll tell you this. The people that uh, run the SSM Health Cardinal Glenn and Children's Foundation, they know how much... 
people love music. And so they came up with this fantastic idea to do Glennon Live. So it is a one-of-a-kind night of entertainment featuring Zach Brown Band. But not only do you get this great concert, but this one-of-a-kind entertainment experience also celebrates the patients, the families, the caregivers of Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, which I think sometimes we forget is the first freestanding Catholic pediatric hospital in the country. I mean, that's a pretty cool distinction. But basically, you're going to see a fantastic concert and doing some good. I love this, too. It's country chic attire. So, you know, you don't have to get too, too fancy for uh, this night out, but it is going to be a fun night out. It's taking place Saturday, April 6th, Chaffetz Arena. Uh, You can get tickets at Glennon.org, or maybe you just, you know, it's Lent and you want to do something good. Maybe you just make a donation to the Glennon Foundation. Again, you can learn more, Glennon.org. Long, beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, streaming, flaxing, waxing. Give me down to there, shoulder length longer. A Dutch company is turning human hair into clothing. Nicholas Rivero with the Washington Post recently wrote an article on it, and he joins us with what he discovered. This is so interesting. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's start with how much hair is thrown away on any given day? So just in the U.S. and Canada alone, barbershops and hair salons are throwing out something like 32 tons of hair. So, you know, you multiply that out across the world and, and throughout the year, you're looking at, you know, (laughs) <laughs> thousands of tons, millions of tons of hair being thrown away. And does hair just dissolve? What What do we do with all this hair? Oh, it all just winds up in a landfill or a trash incinerator somewhere, which, you know, you can imagine having more stuff filling up landfills or, or burning more things isn't all that great for the environment, which is where the idea that this Dutch designer had uh, to turn some of this stuff into clothing. And, uh, by the way, burning hair, great oh, smell. Gross. Just great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but does Heidi mentioned locks of love where you can make wigs out of hair, but it has to be a certain length. I've got, you know, fairly short hair, and when I get a haircut, that all gets swept up and vacuumed up and, and goes somewhere. For a sweater, for textile purposes, does it need to be long when they get it? No, so the the beauty of this is you're right. If you want something for a wig, it's got to be, you know, five inches or longer or something like this. Um, This Dutch startup has basically come up with a way that they can take any color of hair, any length of hair, and treat it chemically so that they can weave it into yarn, pretty you know, the same way that you would with sheep's wool and, and make textiles out of it. So with any length of hair. What is this process like? How long does it take to make hair, you know, into a sweater? Well, basically what they're doing is they're, they're running it through like a, a kind of chemical bath that takes away most of the color, doesn't completely bleach it, but most of the color, and changes the texture of it so that uh, it's a little easier to, like, work with in a, uh, you know, in a loom. And, yeah, it turns it essentially into, into thread. Um, and what's crazy about this is if you look at the pictures of uh, the, the clothing they're able to make out of this, it looks entirely normal. It looks like something you'd make out of 
out of wool or out of cotton. It doesn't look strange at all. See, I have no problem with this whatsoever. If it's already being turned into wigs and we're putting it on our head, why not wrap it around us? But I'm wondering, did you get a chance to feel it? Is it soft? Does it feel like wool? What does it feel like? <laughs> now, I did not get my hands on any of these uh, articles of clothing. I wish I had, but, you know, she's over there in Europe. Uh, she tells me it feels a lot like wool. Got you. And is it expensive at this point because it's a new process? Definitely. So, um, you know, she's got a small startup. She's making these uh, textiles in small batches. And so it's more expensive than wool or cotton or polyester or anything at this point. Uh, You know, uh, what they claim is when they can scale up this production, make it in bigger batches, they can bring down the price. So it's basically cost competitive with the other options. And since it's new, do we even know how long it might last? It's hard to say. Um, You know, one thing that Sophia Kolar, who's the, the head of this startup, likes to point out is they've found mummies with human hair wigs on them, you know, 9,000 years later, and they're still intact. Wow. So she, <laughs> she says, hey, we make a sweater to human hair for you. It'll be around for millennia. And the article says that if you weave hair together, it could be stronger than steel? Yeah, hair is a really crazy material. We don't think about it that much, but uh, pound for pound, it's about as strong as steel. If you were to get the average person's head of hair and kind of weave it together into into rope, you could theoretically lift like two elephants worth of weight with all that hair. (laughs) So when are they going to start building suspension bridges out of hair? (laughs) Well, back in the day, we used to use it for more things like the Greeks and the Romans would occasionally use human hair in their catapults uh, to launch things. And there's also cases where people would um, basically put human hair like into clay, like in a similar way that you might put a piece of rebar in concrete to make it stronger. They would put hair into clay to, help you hold up the walls of the building or something like this. So it really is a really strong, versatile material that we throw away a lot of it, but we could put it to use. So obviously we used it in history, wigs, now clothing. Do we use hair for anything else present day? Yes, there's a couple other things you can do with it. One is fertilizer. Um, you can, uh, you know, you can kind of compost it basically. If you wanted to at home, you really could put it in your garden if you mixed it up with other compost. Um they also there's there's non a nonprofit called Matter of Trust uh, in the U.S. that weaves uh, lengths of hair together into these mats that can absorb oil spills, uh, which is a really cool way to use it. And uh, they basically create these like long buoys that can float in the surface of water and, and keep wildlife or uh, harbors from getting all full of oil and gunk like that. And the last thing that you can do is you can actually dissolve hair down into like its individual amino acids. And these are like the basic building blocks of life. And there's already hair care products that are made out of some of these dissolved hair amino acids. It's supposed to be really good for you. It's supposed to like restore the texture of your hair pretty well. Can you wash these sweaters or do I have to condition it? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't ask about that. It's a good question. (laughs) Like I would imagine dry clean only. I don't know. Uh, A lot of times... When people do these projects, they are more statements to say, hey, we're throwing out 32 tons of this a day. We can actually use it to make a sweater. And just because, like we said, cost prohibitively, you can't ramp it up for mass production. Is she intending to do just that or is this more of a statement? 
So in the past, there have been individual designers who do essentially art projects mm-hmm. where it's like we're going to make, you know, a dress that's made out of human hair. And they'll really play up the fact that they're working with human hair. Just, it, just some of these things look kind of creepy. Uh, but <laughs> the idea with this company, uh, which is called the Human Material Loop, is that, yeah, they want to make this a commercial product. And in fact, later this year, They've partnered with a, a fashion house, which they're not naming yet. The, the official announcement hasn't come out, but apparently a high-end fashion house that's going to make some made-to-order clothing out of this. So it's not like you're going to go to the mall and see this on the rack. But, um, you know, if you're willing to pay a little extra for an avant-garde uh, piece of fashion, you know, later this year, apparently they're going to start selling clothing made of this material. Now, will they say made out of human hair, or we might just see a piece and have no idea what it's made out of? Because I don't think when you look at anything right now, you don't think, oh, that jacket's made out of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I would imagine definitely for the early things where they're partnering with a fashion house and trying to sell it at a premium, it's going to be part of the selling point, made out of human hair. Look how sustainable I am. Look how forward-thinking I am. Now, Going forward, her vision is, no, you could just have this stuff on the shelf, and it doesn't matter what it's made out of. And she's tried to work with the fabric and perfect this chemical process I was describing earlier to the point that you can dye it any color. It looks like any other thread. You can work with it like any other piece of fabric. And based on the pictures that I've seen, it really does look like kind of anything else you'd see on on a rack at a store. Well, it's a very interesting concept. Um, and you can dye it any color. You can, can you make pants out of it? Can you make t-shirts? Anything you want. And in fact, uh, they did one test where they, um, they sent a, a photographer and explorer, uh, up onto Aconcagua, which is the highest peak in South America, wearing a, a jacket, uh, that was stuffed with this insulation made out of human hair. Um, so really wide range of, of fabric, of clothing that you can make out of this. And that guy apparently said the human hair kept him nice and warm and toasty, and <laughs> it was perfectly suited for being up there on the mountain. As a stuffing, I think I could get on, on board with it a little easier than as against my body. Uh, that seems kind of weird. But um, how about this? When uh, fast food restaurants have old grease, companies come by and buy it, and and take it to reuse for any number of different things. Will there be companies that go to hair salons and barber shops to just pick up all the old hair? Well, yeah, and, and I think look, there's already some specialty like waste management companies that go around to salons because they have certain you know kind of chemicals they use mm-hmm. that you want to treat specially. So, but it, if you look in the in the trash can of a hair salon, it's almost entirely hair, and then a little bit of uh, old hair dye chemicals, tin foil, that kind of thing. Uh, it's pretty easy to separate out the stuff that you want. And so it's, it's actually not that hard if, if you're one of these waste management companies to have a side business if you wanted to, selling the human hair for some of these applications. That's one thing. The second is a lot of people donate their hair. You're, you were mentioning earlier um, you can donate your hair to make wigs out of. You can also donate your hair to nonprofits like Matter of Trust. They're the ones that make that. Uh, those mats that clean up oil spills, and people do that as well. They actually collect tons and tons of hair uh, every year from people who are willing to just put it all in a bag and, and mail it in for free. So, 
you know, it, it seems like there is a lot of supply out there if you could figure out, you know, something to do with it. Well, it sounds like this Dutch company might be on to something. Nicholas Rivero with The Washington Post, thank you so much for enlightening us. <laughs> thank you for having me. And it, we're not eating it. But Soylent Green comes to mind. Oh, gosh. You know, you know, it does every time. I think about Soylent Green three times a week. But that worries me. Your sweater. It's made of people. People. You've probably heard by now Navalny, who staged massive anti-Kremlin protest as President Putin's fiercest foe died. Andy Field, ABC News correspondent in Washington, joins us with the latest. What is President Biden saying about this? Well, he's blaming uh, Vladimir Putin, but he admits he doesn't know for sure or certain how uh, Mr. Navalny died. What we're getting from the Russian penitentiary where he was was that he fell ill after a walk immediately lost consciousness. They tried to revive him. They couldn't. He died. Uh, You do remember that uh, he was, someone tried to poison Mm -hmm. him and kill him when he was in Germany. It took a long time for him to recuperate. He could have lived fine in exile. Instead, uh, he said, no, he's going to go back and help his fellow countrymen get rid of Putin and, and the, what he called the thugs that Surround Putin, he was immediately arrested when he came back there and thrown into prison for uh, various charges that don't seem to make any sense. And he's been in prison ever since. This is back in uh, almost four years ago. Now, uh, President Biden at the time said that Putin and Russia will pay dearly if he uh, Navalny dies in prison. Well, he died in prison, and it's not clear what else the United States can do. We have leveled so many sanctions against Russia since they started their war with Ukraine that there's not a whole lot left for the United States to do in terms of financial sanctions against that country. Well, what we can do is we can fund Ukraine and they can push this through. And and I'm wondering, Andy, on Capitol Hill, has the death of Navalny, which we've already said was probably a foregone conclusion. We were kind of surprised it took four years for them to finally carry it out, sadly. But has this moved the needle as far as getting Congress to finally fund Ukraine? Well, the House Speaker said uh, that uh, Vladimir Putin should not be allowed to continue in power and, and all the right things that you would think would go along with writing a big check to Ukraine to keep uh, their war effort going. But Instead, the House decided to take another two-week vacation. Mm. Uh, Instead of doing anything about this, they didn't act on the Senate-passed bill that would have given uh, billions more to Ukraine and and helped rejuvenate that fight against Russia. In fact, Russia is already managing to overrun a major city, and they're worried that this is going to happen more because Ukraine is simply running out of munitions and equipment to fight off uh, this this force of Russia, which is a giant gift to Vladimir Putin. So in the meantime, uh, Congress's inaction continues. And it's not just on that. Uh, the Republicans in the House have been screaming to do something about the border. The bipartisan group in the Senate, Republicans and Democrats, 
came up with a giant compromise, and uh, Donald Trump told Republicans, don't vote for it. It's going to hurt my election chances. And so enough Republicans in the House said, no, we're not going to do it, although the House Speaker keeps denying that that's the case. That is, in fact, what has happened. And so now we've got no action on either one of those things, and we are facing yet another possible government shutdown. This would be the fourth time this has happened. Because when they come back, they're going to have just a week left to pass a budget, which they're nowhere close to doing, or uh, do another continuing resolution, which, if indeed that happens, uh, the House Speaker could be in danger of losing his job because Republicans keep telling him to stop doing that with Democratic votes. Yeah, it seems a little like Groundhog Day there in Washington. <laughs> Andy, well, it's still February, so yeah, we're, we're we're within the we're within the calendar. Any word on why Putin might have done this now? Uh, some say that he feels emboldened by the fact that the U.S. can't get their act together and help the fight with Ukraine, and some have been saying he feels like he's backed into a corner. At this point, so both you ends know, I, of the spectrum. I don't know. The last time we saw Alexei Navalny was in a Russian court, and that was yesterday. And he seemed to look perfectly healthy. He smiled, cracked a joke with a judge about his salary. Uh, he was seen on CCTV uh, from the prison colony. Uh, Reuters actually posted a, a video of that yesterday. So nothing seemed to miss. And short of a massive heart attack and heart disease that no one knew about, uh, this doesn't seem like it's likely something that happened on its own. And, Andy, will they look into it? Will there be an autopsy, or we will not hear any more about this since it's Russia? We'll have to ask Vladimir Putin. Yeah. All Do you things. have his number? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me let me look it up for you. Tucker's got it. Yeah. All right. Well, have you seen, by the way, have you seen the videos Tucker Carlson's been posting? <sighs> no. I try not to. Yeah, recently. Well, he, he posted one about how wonderful their metro subway system was. Uh, he goes, not like the horrible cities in New York and Washington. Seems uh, but about the, right. But the funniest one was he posted a video about how they keep homeless people from stealing shopping carts by having to put quarters or their version of a quarter into the thing so you get your quarterback when you bring the cart back. And I guess I guess he's never been to an Aldi's or any other supermarket. <laughs> we, yeah, Tucker, we have those here too, Yeah, my friend. His people do that. Andy Field, it's yeah. always great to uh, chat with you. Thank you. You too. Headlines for this Friday afternoon, February 16th. Taylor Swift donates to Family of Chiefs Parade Shooting Victim, a GoFundMe campaign to support the family of Lisa Lopez Galvin, who was killed in a shooting at the Chiefs Super Bowl celebration, received a $100,000 donation from Taylor Swift this morning. The goal was seventy-five grand. The page's description said it had been set up to support her two children and husband of 22 years. So early this morning, a 50000 donation was added to the fund from Taylor Swift. Eight minutes later, she made another $50,000 donation to the fund. Sending my deepest sympathies and condolences in the wake of your devastating loss with love, Taylor Swift, is what she wrote with each donation. She's part of the Chiefs' kingdom now. Well, I mean, it's one more thing for all the people that want to complain. Yeah. Uh, the Dome at America Center, which is still weird to say. Why? TWA Dome, uh, the Edward Jones Dome, and now it's just the Dome. 
is going to get new turf later this year. Good. The Mizzou game uh, against Memphis, was it, Connor? That was played Mizzou to the Lou. Everybody complained about mm-hmm. how bad the turf looked. Uh, they claim that they still looked or felt. I mean, it, I wasn't probably, on. Yeah, I wasn't on the field. That's probably more concerning. You don't want anybody to get hurt. People complained about the way that it looked. They say that they keep it up and they they tend to it all the time. But in the middle of August of this summer, they're going to get new turf. One point one million dollar deal with a Georgia based AstroTurf company. And they say they have to wait until August because with the auto show, Monster Jam, and the Battle Hawks, they don't have a 30-day window to put it in. Uh, the current surface installed in 2010. Hmm. And the Battle Hawks will play on it this season. I mean, I know high schools have to replace their turf. Have you seen high school turfs? Well, I mean, you go to the games yeah, all the time. I've seen a lot of them. Oh, they look so good. But, I mean, they have to replace that, and there is a lot of upkeep on all of that. I was driving around uh, a couple of years ago while Finn was sleeping, driving around St. Charles. St. Charles High School, home of the Pirates. I go around the back. It's one of these old schools. It mm-hmm. looks like Rydelheim. Go around the back. They have beautiful football facilities back there. It looks professional. Yeah. So, it's kind of cool. We have a lot of beautiful... Uh, stadiums and gyms in St. Louis. Speaking of gyms, Caitlin Clark breaks all-time scoring record for NCAA women's basketball. The Iowa senior needed just eight points in last night's home game against Michigan to break the all-time record of 3,527 points set by Kelsey Plum, who now plays for the Las Vegas Aces. She did that 2013-2017 to Caitlin Clark broke the record in the first two minutes and 12 seconds by making a deep three-point shot. She also scored a career high, an Iowa program record of 49 points last night. And, oh, by the way, she also had 13 assists and five rebounds. And she was getting all kinds of accolades from Steph Curry and Tom Brady and Billie Jean Key, just everybody. It was was amazing to watch. Just, I mean, in the first... Probably 10 seconds, she had already scored two points, and you just knew it was going to be her night. Do you think for big games like that, they can just turn it on? Like, wasn't Kobe's last game, didn't he put up, like, 60, 70 points? It was, it was 50 points on, I think, like, 48 shots. Yeah. So, just not like, efficient. They, yeah. That was a big-time... Kobe can take all the shots because it's his last game. Yeah. Uh, the question is, why are you retiring? You're still making... Well, that's not... I, the point is, it, it wasn't a good game. It oh, was just okay. 50 points. They just kept giving, yeah. him, kept the giving him the ball because they knew it was his last game. Is that what they did with Caitlin? No, she, no, I mean, she, she is had, good. She yeah. is <laughs> fantastic. And it, just looking at the assist, I mean, she can pass as good as she can shoot, which it makes her just a fantastic player all around. And it's not just the Cardinals. You might have heard Miles Michaelis complaining about the new Fanatics made jerseys. These are the pros jerseys that they wear on the field. Nike used to make them last year. They have now contracted all the MLB teams contracted. Uh, The Nike logo will be on there, but Fanatics is making them and they are saying they look cheap. I haven't seen them. It's numbers. Who made them prior to this? Nike made them. uh, And then what was it for years? Majestic. Majestic. Uh, I've read that they have never changed factories 
throughout all these changes, whether it's Majestic or Nike or now Fanatics, that they're still coming out of the same place. So this has to be a decision a, from Fanatics to make them look like this. But so then, is it a design issue? There's got to be a hundred people that sign off on this thing. Well, the numbers are different. The the names on the back are bigger or smaller. Smaller. Different design choices, but the numbers themselves look like they're screen printed on rather oh. than the old-fashioned stitch. And they are. They are screen printed. I mean, now, it's not stitched, right? The Cardinals had to lobby to say the birds on the bat logo on the front of the jersey will be stitched. We're not changing that for anybody. But the numbers on the back, screen printed, um, is it a cost-saving measure? This is the pro, it's like this is what the pros wear on the field. The stuff they sell us in the shops, right? Yeah, make no, that whatever you want. Just it to as be. bad though. I saw what you'll be buying now. The authentic, the high-priced one. It was one hundred and thirty-five dollars last year, and it had all the stitching. It had all this. Now it's one hundred and seventy-five dollars, all screen printed, no stitching. Maybe that's what it is. So they've raised the price and made, yeah. in my opinion, the quality Shrinkflation once they, again, just in yes. a different way. They can make more on the merchandise by saying, "Well, this is the real jersey." Yeah. But yeah. the Mariners have complained about it, and a Cub shortstop, Dansby Swanson, says he's even called Nike. To say, I'll get to the bottom of it. Nike is one of his sponsors. so I think that's what it would take, though, right? If all the players said that they didn't like it, they would change them. plenty of time before the season starts to change this. So we'll see if they actually do. Yeah. You know what? You can just save your money, or better yet... Save it and see it grow. Doesn't everybody like to do that? Together Credit Union, which, by the way, is City SC's official banking partner. So if you have a checking account with them and you have that City SC debit card, which not only looks really cool, you get all kinds of uh, fun benefits from it. But Together Credit Union is also offering a guaranteed way to grow your money, and they're doing that with not one but two limited-time CD promotions. The first option is a 11-month CD term with a 5.40% annual percentage yield, and then the second is a 19-month CD term with a 5.00% annual percentage yield. So whichever one you choose, you're going to make money. Now, both require a minimum balance of 1000 Dollars, But you can learn more about all of the fantastic products that Together Credit Union offers. Just go to TogetherCU.org. I am so excited to talk to Mike Ward today because a couple of weeks ago, I mean, you guys just asked so many great questions about whiskey. We thought, well, let's do Scotch whiskey, single malt scotch, and not just any, but Mike Ward's personal favorite. How are you? I'm doing great. Isn't this a perfect day for some scotch? Oh, my gosh. I was thinking that same thing, and I (laughs) muscled my way through to Deerberg's, actually, to grab something for lunch because they have so many options, especially uh, during Lent. I was... I actually grabbed some of their fresh sushi, but they have everything. And anyway, while I was there, I kind of took a peek through that aisle. And I have so many questions about scotch and the difference of scotch whiskey and whiskey. What is the difference? 
Well, you know, I think, first of all, people, even if you drink whiskey, it's some reason when I teach classes on whiskey, people have this feeling that scotch is all kind of smoky and and intense. And, you know, it really, Glenfiddich, which we're talking about today, the 12 and the 14-year-old, there's no peat involved, and we can talk about what peat is. This is a very smooth whiskey, and you were mentioning in Deerberg's today and sushi, I, I, I think scotch is a really good food pairing style of whiskey. Really? So, oh, yeah. Okay, let's also, why is there an E and then sometimes we talk whiskey and there's not an E? <laughs> I know, isn't that what's, it's so great, isn't it? <laughs> so Irish whiskey typically does not have the E next to the Y. And uh, and and Scotch whiskey, uh, or what, Scotch whiskey doesn't, and Irish whiskey does, and I think they just want to differentiate the two. Uh, yeah, American yeah. whiskey has the e, Scotch whiskey doesn't. So both are acceptable uh, spellings of whiskey, but it is it is it, you know connected to the country of origin and the region of origin. Okay, if we took out the region of origin. Scotch and whiskey are the same thing or no? Well, scotch is a whiskey. Irish whiskey is whiskey. So is American whiskey. They're all in the whiskey category because they start with grains like malted barley or uh, rice. I mean, uh, uh, corn or um, uh, rye in the U.S. But in Scotland specifically, it's malted barley that's the grain. And so that's what makes it a whiskey versus other spirits that might come from other sugar sources. Okay. What does it mean when we see single malt? So let's just mention the two basic Scotch whiskeys, a blended Scotch whiskey, which is barley and maybe another grain, a grain whiskey. And that would be like Chevis is uh, a, a, uh, a blended Scotch whiskey. But what we're talking about today is a single malt. And single malt means, by law in Scotland, that it has to be from a single grain, which is malted barley, and it has to come from a single distillery, like in this case, the Glenfiddich Distillery. All right. Speaking of Glenfiddich, how long have they been around? Well, uh, trace their roots back to uh, William Grant in the late 1800s, 1880s. And this is a time in Scotland where, you know, we probably think scotch is ancient, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, they've been distilling and, and making some form of whiskey for a long time. But in the 1800s is when our scotch producers that we're familiar with today really started to come around. This is when they started to identify what scotch was, regulate it, and, of course, tax it. And this is where some of the distilleries that we know of started making scotch like we know it today. You know, it has to be aged a little bit longer because of the environment there and that the barrels age in. So when we see age statements like 12, 14, 21 years or whatever, uh, there's a big difference aging scotch versus aging whiskey in the U.S. So, you know, we look at the history and and they're not really uh, uh, it doesn't go back that that long. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it started in the summer of 1886. And is it true? I mean, his kids, seven sons, two daughters right there with him. Yeah. Uh, true family uh, business, uh, you know, back in a time when there was probably a lot of kind of bootleg moonshine whiskey around the countryside. But they 
really started this as a legitimate business in Speyside and near the Highlands. So the uh, the, the uh, eastern side of the country, well away from the coast. So one of the things that, that gets me tied up when we're, we're talking about Scotch whiskey, you've got Glenfiddich, which is what we're talking about today. Then you've got Glenlivet, and then you've got Glenmorangi, uh, you got Glen Gary, Glen Ross. What are the Glens all about? <laughs> Lots of Glens, right? Yeah, and it you know if if you, if you really look at the names of the Scotch whiskeys, whether it's some of the Glens, which just really kind of goes back to the location, you know, it's uh, not a family name. Is. No, it's not a family name. But we look at the, the location and the water sourcing and the soil composition there, so it's regional. And, you know, some of the names, rarely are the names really family names. They really kind of go back to some kind of historical place and time or or region. Got yeah. So let's yeah. kind of separate the two because we're talking Glenfiddich 12-year single malt, and that one is at just about every uh, Deerberg's Bob's Barnes, isn't it? Yeah, I was out uh, this week kind of making sure that what we were talking about today is in the stores. The 12-year-old, which is like the signature, is available everywhere. And really that 14-year-old is as well. There's a couple of stores that have the 15-year-old, which is really interesting. And the big difference between the 12-year signature and the 14-year is a little bit of price, yes, but also the fact that the 14-year spends some time in new charred American oak barrels. And that's really what kind of separates the flavor profile of those two whiskeys. For something that is is so uh, Scottish, I mean, it's even in the name, Scotch, I'm surprised that they use bourbon barrels with American oak. I mean, you know, back in 1886... Uh, they probably weren't using American oak. No, they weren't. Uh, it Maybe if they could get their hands on it, but they probably weren't using American oak, you know, into the 1900s. But this is the new renaissance of Scotch whiskey where they not only are using American oak and new American oak, like ex-bourbon barrels, but also barrels from sherry. That it has a lot more history to it. and And we probably would trace... Scotch producers using sherry barrels, partnering with the folks making sherry in southern Spain to finish their their whiskeys and providing all those unique and different flavors that, that it would get from the sherry that was in that barrel. All right. More on Scotch whiskey, single malt scotch, after we check back in with Captain Paul Kofsky because it has just been nasty out there today. Heidi, right now the interstates are mainly wet and we just have the usual slowdowns. The roads on the side remain an issue, especially in the city. We had reports of a one-vehicle crash on southbound 170 at Airport Road, but that appears to be cleared. But watch out for lots of stalled vehicles. There's one on 255 East past Lemay Ferry, on 44 West before Antire, on 270 South at Gravoy. Stalled cars on 270 South past 44, on 70 West past 79, and on westbound 255 at Telegraph. From the KTRS Traffic Center, I'm Captain Paul Kopsky on the Big 550 KTRS. 
We're chatting with Mike Ward today about Glenn Fiddick and the, specifically the 12-year and the 14-year, which you can find at uh, most Bob's Barns, which is inside Deerberg's. But you said that this is your favorite. What do you like about it? Well, I, I like scotch, and I like single malts, and I like trying different different scotches, you know, going through all the glens that we were just talking about. You know, the scotches from a place called Isla, if you've ever heard of Isla, it's a little island over to the, the, the coastal side of Scotland. Those are heavily peated scotches, and as it ages there, they uh, they get all that sea air and sort of that salty kind of briny and, and medicinal almost aroma from uh, the aging environment and the peat. I like those, but those are a lot harder to drink, and they're not for beginners. Mm. I really like Highlands and Speyside whiskeys like Glenfiddich because they're smooth, they're approachable. You can just pour a little, like uh, what the Scottish say, a wee dram and have a, a nice little sip and uh, maybe pair it with food. And they are a lot uh, smoother and easier to drink. Well, are there any Scotch cocktails? Do you make anything, or Scotch is just meant to be sipped, you know, neat or over maybe a, a ice cube? And just pour like a tire bottle of Mountain Dew in there. No, oh. I'm kidding. Of course, yeah. no, I'm joking. Uh, really, you can replace, you know, anything uh, that you would have whiskey with. If you like Manhattans or Old Fashions, please don't put the Mountain Dew in my uh, my single malt scotch. You know, it's kind of, you'd say, oh, it's it's by itself. You can add a little ice to it, maybe if you want, or a little water. Um, but you can use it as a replacement for um, any cocktail that calls for whiskey. And it's going to bring in a little bit of a different flavor. Now, those scotches that are heavily peated, maybe not the best for cocktails. Those are really, and this is my opinion, but I, I will tell you one. Uh, I did have a single malt scotch many years ago. I was in a seminar, and it was made. It was a peated scotch, and was made into a Bloody Mary, and it was amazing. Ooh. You don't think about Bloody Marys with scotch. But, you know, they're, it's pretty versatile, and you can do a lot of different things with it. So when we say peated, what exactly does that mean? Peat is in the ground, and it's been growing or developing underground for thousands of years. It's used in Scotland, actually, historically as a heating source. And they'll dig it out of the ground, and when the grains are soaked— the barley is soaked and starts to germinate. They have to dry it, and they'll use the peat as a heating source to smoke and dry the grains so that they can stop the germination process. And that's what really, you know, that's when the grains get um, get that nice kind of peaty, smoky smell to it. If you don't use peat and you dry the grains traditionally as we d would anywhere else in the world, you're not going to have those same effects. And when people say they can, you know, it is peaty or I don't like that, what is the flavor? What's the profile of that that they're getting? Well, just think of smoke, okay. you know, smokiness. And also to me, you know, a little bit of brine or saltiness and almost a little kind of medicinal smell too. Uh, and I don't want to, I want to be really careful because I'd love if people tried it. But if you're going to, you know, try it first time ever, usually people have to acquire a taste for it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Glen Fittick is a beautiful, like smooth whiskey that doesn't have that smokiness. And, and it's a great, like, I wouldn't say beginner's whiskey, but if you're coming off of you only drink bourbon or rye from the U.S. and you want to try a scotch, this is a great one to try. Okay, speaking of, if that is where we are and we've had uh, bourbons, is scotch considered, as they say, to put a little more hair on your chest? Is it a little uh, I tougher? Well, I think because it's going to be a little bit lower proof, lower alcohol, it's going to be usually about 40% alcohol, 80 proof. And it's not going to have the sweetness that corn would bring to like a bourbon. Um, I would compare them in a lot of ways as smoother oh. and a little bit easier to drink uh, and, you know, drier, spicier and not sweet like a, a, a bourbon that has the, the required amount of corn would have to it. Okay, I think sense. i got to try a little more scotch. Mike, you know me, and, and I love uh, to know the history about what I'm drinking. Glenfiddich is uh, Scottish for Valley of the Deer. Yeah. Uh, that Glen means valley. Uh, Glenlivet means Valley of Livet, which is a river that runs in Scotland. And Glenmorangie means Valley of Tranquility. So, And it's, and it's actually uh, Morangie. That's Morangy. how they, they yeah, uh, Glen Morangy. But the Glen part, you know, referring to the place and the water sourcing, that all really re- reflects back on the finished product uh, um, scotch and provides its its complexity and its aromas. And also in that valley, you're also going to be aging the barrels there. So the effects from the environment, uh, you know, whether it's cooler or warmer, uh, that's also going to have a brand recognition uh, uh, effects on the scotch. Well, a couple people weighing in. Uh, our friend Ed said he attended a Whiskey and Wisdom Wednesday night at his congregation, Whiskey Fellowship and Tour Study, which sounds cool. And then somebody else said they did a yeah. scotch tasting at Royal Lochnogger Distillery. Is that how I say that? Uh, and the scotch was yeah. amazing. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Thanks for the comments. And uh, I think, you know, whiskey can bring wisdom uh, and uh, I think that's a, a perfect theme. Yeah, I do too. Well, Mike Ward, it's always so much fun chatting with you. And if somebody has a question about whiskey or scotch or wine or beer and they uh, don't want to wait until next Friday, how can they get a hold of you? Mike at wardonwine.com. I love the questions. Keep them coming. And if you're looking for these whiskeys uh, and want to, you know, find a certain location of uh, Bob's Barn, Deerberg's near you, just send me an email. I'll help you find it. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. And, of course, Thanks. during Lent, and as I mentioned, I got their sushi, which was fantastic. But Oh, that's why you had sushi yeah, today. Yeah, because it's Friday. But Deerberg's just loads up the cases for the Lenten season. I mean, they've got... Everything you could possibly imagine, fried catfish, cod, smoked salmon, shrimp, some of the shrimp. They have so many different uh, styles of shrimp. But then you also can go and you can grab it, you know, fresh and make it at home if you want to. Plus, all of their fresh seafood, all chemical and antibiotics free. I mean, it is sustainably sourced, ethically harvested, which means that you can go and grab it and feel good about it. And your seafood is cooked free. I don't think a lot of people know this. So you can pick out your favorite fish. 
choose from over a dozen different seasonings, and dinner is done before you even check out, which is fantastic. It's simple, delicious, ready in minutes, and it, in my opinion, does not get any better than that. So swing by a Deerberg's, grab the fish, uh, grab the veggies, grab that scotch or a bottle of wine, and uh, then stay inside and hunker down. That's what I say. Classic Glenfiddich. All of it. Debbie Boone on the turntable. <laughs> it's going to be happening when I can get home. I mean. That's textbook, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Did you see this? No correct answers to Final Jeopardy. And the clue was about the Gateway Arch. I guess just Ooh. week after a Bush Stadium brain teaser stumped three Jeopardy contestants, the game presented yet another St. Louis-inspired clue. And players couldn't come with the right answer what is it do you, you got right, so, did yeah. you see the one about bush stadium i didn't what was the question it was like they showed a picture of it and, and nobody it, could and it was like this stadium named after a you know beer baron something like that was it new bush yeah current current i bush? think so okay. and uh-huh. they, they couldn't they couldn't guess it was the arch there do you think you could name most no stadiums i could not not especially now when they have all oh, these dumb names. Yeah, yeah. Accusure. Right? Yes, Accusure. no way. Accusure. But uh, so during the final Jeopardy round, contestants were quizzed on their knowledge of landmarks. The clue read: the distance between its two legs at ground level is six hundred and thirty feet, making it as tall as it is wide. I mean, come on. Oh, no. oh, oh, and then the answer is the, what, or is what is the arch? The yes, gateway arch. Exactly. But the three contestants. Uh, David, James, and Deandra, who were competing, none of them correctly guessed the Gateway Arch in the final Jeopardy round. The first two even wagered all their earnings before the round. So their answers were, what is the Eiffel Tower? What is Christ the Redeemer? Somebody else, what is the Eiffel Tower? Tower. After the three those answers, are, those are fine guesses. No, I Eiffel guess. Tower. What? Uh, no, it's not as wide as it is tall. Uh, right? You know, with the base, How, what what can, what constitutes the base? The of what? I, I don't. I it's don't the know. Ba- I mean, the base I, is the. No, I get it. Oh, um, well. Anyway, then host Ken Jennings said, "No, this is the Gateway Arch in St. Louis." And duh. Uh huh. <laughs> so it's so the Eiffel Tower is a thousand and eighty-three feet. Tall and 410 feet wide, okay. so not even close. Considerably smaller yes. at the base. Yes. I'm I'm still stunned by that. It's but one of those optical illusions. You mean that the, the, the width and the height? Have you ever just gone down there though on a beautiful sunny day? Yep. Looked up, uh huh, and watch it kind of sway. Yep, it's so so cool. Yeah, I don't have time for that now, but. Now, yeah, but, you can do it before your marathon walk. Right, yeah. you're gonna walk yeah. from got to do it the, from summer. the arch to back to. I home. mean, soon enough, you need to take Finn down there because the museum is cool. You could go ride the riverboat and take him on the river. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff there. I wish that McDonald's was still down there. Oh, that'd that be was cool. Pretty cool. Uh, my sister-in-law. We're watching our nieces because my sister-in-law is in Austin, Texas, this weekend, running her first marathon. Oh, a full. So congratulations. Is anybody to her. Uh, cheering her on? Her husband's okay. going. But uh, and we've got the kids. My wife has all three of them right now: two nieces and Finn. 
And, you know, I'm going to ro- roll in tonight and say, honey, I'm home. And she's going to hand me Ew. the kids and say, I'm going to bed. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Um, but I told my sister-in-law, I said, well, you know, in New York City, some woman finished in 10 hours. And she said, well, there's a seven-hour limit on mm. this one. Gosh. So. I hope there's good weather for her. Oh, down, yeah, in Austin. I think it's in the 70s. Yeah. Dictionary.com added 327 new words and terms. A couple of them I have never heard of. Uh, shacket, I have a mashup of a shirt and a, shirt jacket. And a jacket. Yeah. But I, I consider that slang, not a real word, but I guess we're adding it. I agree in that we don't need words in the dictionary for these things. Right. Well, but why not? I don't know. Who does it hurt? I'm a, I'm a purist. Oh, a dictionary. Yeah, I'm a language purist. Purist. Yeah. Okay. Um, range anxiety, the fear that an electric vehicle's battery will run out of power before you get to where you're going. Here's my second question: Do phrases get put in the dictionary? I think they do on dictionary. Dictionary.com. Okay. They do. Oh, they have no rules. No, they have know. rules. I think. But Webster's no. does Webster's put? I don't think Webster's phrases? does phrases. Girl dinner, uh, and often. Attractively present a collection of snacks that involve little prep. I think that's so silly. Okay. But, yeah. Right. Um, Have you ever seen on the on menus places? Um, I forget what they call it, but they say my girlfriend's. I'll take the girlfriend meal. Yeah. And it's like two cheese sticks, Ridiculous. a couple of potato skins, some French fries. Mid, unimpressive, mediocre, disappointing. The ick. A sudden feeling of disgust or dislike, usually in response to the actions of another person. And this one I've never heard of. Bed rotting. Oh. Have you? What's that thing I mentioned earlier in the week? Herkle Durkle. Herkle Durkle. This is the practice of spending many hours in bed during the day, often with snacks or electronic device, as a voluntary retreat for activity from activity or stress. Yeah. Bed Rotting. Yeah, anyway. Herkle Durkle sounds nicer than that. Consider yourself schooled on some new terms. It is 449. The judge has fined Donald Trump $354 million in that civil fraud suit. Royal Oaks ABC News legal analyst joins us with his thoughts on that and to kind of explain. Is this a rather large amount or is this kind of normal for this sort of case? This is a gigantic amount, <laughs> and there is no other case that's really comparable. We've been digging and can't find any similar cases in New York or really elsewhere uh, where a, ju- a judge has, has hit somebody with this kind of penalty based on this kind of conduct, namely lying about your, your wealth and your net worth and how much your different properties are worth. This actually could have been a lot worse for Donald Trump because this judge before the trial had ordered dissolution of Trump's entire New York business empire, just gonzo. Uh, But legal experts questioned his right to do that. And now in this ruling today, there was no dissolution order. Instead, for three years, Trump is not going to be able to to run any of his New York companies and his adult sons are banned for two years. Uh, And he's got to pay the three hundred and fifty five million dollars. And the basis is that uh, Trump lied to get tax and insurance and, and loan benefits. The components of the three hundred fifty five million are first. $168 $168 million represents the interest payments Trump didn't have to pay that he would have had to pay if he told the truth about his assets. And the rest of it is $187 million. That's the profit he made 
on recently selling a couple of properties that he owned as a result of getting loans where he lied about his assets when getting those loans. So that's the heart of the ruling against Trump. And then I assume there will be an appeal. So this won't it's not going to end after this. You betcha. Immediate appeal. I mean, he's got a month to do it, but I'm sure he'll do it very quickly. And then critically, the question is, during the appeal, does he have to pay the money? He can post a bond. He could put the money in escrow. But, you know, last year he testified in one proceeding that he had about $400 million in cash. Well, between the um, $88 million bucks he owes Gene Carroll, that's on appeal in the mm. defamation suits, and, and this $355 million, that's more than $400 million. So he's probably going to have to sell a bunch of properties if he has to put up the cash. Now, he might be able to post a bond and put the properties up for collateral. Uh, kind of like in a in a criminal bail bond situation, so uh, you know it, it's it's it hits him personally because he's out of the picture, his sons are out of the picture. Uh, the judge has appointed a monitor saw long ago, uh, a woman named Barbara Jones, who basically is the eyes and ears of the court. She reports whether anything funny is going on and whether they're behaving honestly. And so basically she's going to be uh, the monitor that be who is the watchdog uh, running the Trump organization. But the Trump organization may not be run as a director or an officer by Trump or his two adult sons. Now, to get a number like 300 plus million dollars, did they have to determine in court proceedings how much Donald Trump truly is worth? Yeah, there was a lot of testimony about his worth. And, uh, and again, he, he said he had about $400 million in cash. And, and then there was a big question, of what's Mar-a-Lago worth? I think uh, the court's uh, opinion was it was worth about $18 million bucks, And the, the Trump fans have been saying, are you kidding me? $18 bucks is way below what Mar-a-Lago is worth. So that's a matter of you know, mind-numbing testimony by accountants and real estate appraisers and so on. So, yes, uh, they went in through all of that. And that's how the judge justified his two giant figures of 168 million and 187 million uh, getting uh, to the profit that he made uh, and uh, the interest payments that he didn't have to pay because you know when you apply for a big loan you tell the lender hey I'm worth a uh, hundred million dollars or a billion and the properties that are collateral uh, for the loan are worth uh, X dollars and you get a loan with X percent interest but if it's worth less in fact you'd have to have paid more in interest and so the judge added that up and said, okay, that's, that's $168 million right there that Donald Trump benefited from. And again, no victim in the, in, in the, in the case, not a criminal case, because the banks didn't, didn't uh, say, hey, we were ripped off by Donald Trump. To the contrary, they testified for Trump in the, in the case saying, you know, he, we considered him a whale, meaning a gigantic, very profitable client, making all sorts of interest on loans to him. Um, but they, they didn't say they were ripped off. But in New York— you don't need a victim. You don't need a dollar amount that the victim was hurt by. Instead, all you need is to prove, is prove that the guy lied. And then the judge came up with the, the uh, bottom line conclusion that Donald Trump benefited from his lie. Uh, so he, these ill-gotten gains have to be disgorged by Trump. Uh, well, this isn't the only story you're covering. We've also got the judge overseeing former President Donald Trump's Georgia election interference. And this one got a little uh, testy with District Attorney Fannie Willis. Absolutely. And a lot of people are talking about the emotion and the anger she displayed. And many people think that it didn't really help her, you know, talking about whether her boyfriend who was uh, when she was in a relationship with him and so on. And, and it's funny, people go back into political and legal history. Clarence Thomas was f furious back in the 90s when he was accused of harassment by uh, Anita Hill. 
And his saying, you know, I'm a victim of a high-tech lynching, most people look back and say that's what saved him is because the emotion was so startling and people bought his opinion. Then there was uh, Justice Kavanaugh just a few years ago Mm -hmm. when he got on the Supreme Court. Everybody thought he was was gonzo because the testimony by uh, Ms. Blasey Ford was, was so powerful. And then in the afternoon, he just brought it back by showing a lot of anger. But Fannie Willis, uh, whether she's angry or not, is going to hear probably in the next week or two. The judge today, after hearing more testimony, not from her, but from a bunch of other witnesses, said, okay, we're going to get together with all the lawyers late next week or the following week, have a final decision about whether or not she's disqualified. Now, Trump wants the Georgia case dismissed because of her alleged misconduct. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, if she were dismissed, they just stick the attorney general for the state of Georgia in there as the prosecutor. But critically, Trump is probably going to achieve a victory here because the trial in Georgia hasn't even been scheduled. I can't imagine it's going to happen this year, which means mission accomplished for Trump because he wants the election under his belt yeah. before he has to go to trial. So, Royal, you brought up uh, two examples there, both of them men who are kind of fighting back. Of course, now we have Miss Willis. Does that play into this when we're you know, saying, oh, emotions? Sure. I mean, that's a sociological issue as much as it is legal. You know, a lot of people say, you know, men, when they're aggressive in business, Mm -hmm. well, they're powerful and aggressive. And I don't have to tell you the word that people uh, use to refer to women who are aggressive. And, yeah, there's that uh, sexism angle that uh, people are very interested in. Yeah. And when a man does this, they say, oh, he's being uh, aggressive and proactive. And when a woman does it, they, oh, she's being hysterical. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's kind of ridiculous. Is there that, any... was, that was the word I was yeah, thinking. I yes. know which word. Yeah. I agree. Is there any irony that she's being charged for using uh, funds from her office to benefit her boyfriend and go on fancy trips? And the fact that Donald well, Trump... The, the yes. Trump org just got popped because their CFO was taking funds to pay for his apartment and his cars and his kids' schooling. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, you see interesting parallels in so many of these cases. And, you know, each side accuses the other of hypocrisy. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, when she has to testify about things like, well, I reimbursed Nathan for about half of all the trips. Well, did you go to the ATM? No, I didn't go to the ATM. I keep a lot of cash around my house. You know, being put under a microscope like that Ugh. is no fun. So you kind of understand why she would uh, uh, really go off the rails in terms of emotion and anger. But, um, yeah, I have a feeling that that aspect won't really influence the judge. I think the judge is going to say, look, the case law tells us, given facts kind of like this, either the DA's office is out or they're not, uh, and we're going to get that decision probably in about 10 days. We don't need to make this case any more salacious than it already is, but they broke up. They're no longer together. And what did she say? Uh, She said, he said, I don't need anything from a woman except to make me a sandwich. Yeah, very peculiar. Uh, It it is kind of turning into a legal soap opera, isn't it? Uh, But at the end of the day, it's all about Donald Trump and whether he will receive a verdict from a jury before the election in November or not. And because of all of this kerfuffle, this is not going to happen, I think, in Georgia. The Miami case is going to get kicked into 2025, almost certainly. The Washington, D.C. case, that too probably will get kicked because the Supreme Court is all over multiple big issues, obstruction immunity. But Stormy Daniels, that's set for March 25. All the decks have been cleared because the other cases are sort of in limbo And I think that you're going to get a verdict for or against Donald Trump or maybe a hung jury uh, 
fact that 85% of Manhattan uh, voters go for the Democrat as opposed to the Republican may give some confidence to those who want to see Donald Trump convicted in the Stormy Daniels hush money case. Yeah, lots to keep our eyes on. Royal Oaks, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. And now, and now the, the top, top five at five. five. News from around the room. Dexter Pilot and Declan. They're a trio of canines. They're all facility dogs at Children's Memorial Herman Hospital in Houston. And in their roles, the dogs help young patients at the hospital take medication, maybe attend physical therapy, cope with the often overwhelming experience of simply being in the hospital. Having Dexter Pilot and Declan lie next to you while you pet them, look at them, talk to them, hold their paw can make any procedure a little less scary. That's according to Christy Lang, who is the facility dog program coordinator. The facility dogs are full-time employees. They work 40 hours a week at the hospital to help children meet their medical goals and to maybe continue to smile through it. The canines are in the hospital Monday through Friday, so when... A holiday falls on a weekend or a weekday, I should say. The Christy Lang and the other handlers make a point of doing something special with them. So for Valentine's Day this year, that meant setting up a station at the hospital where patients could make goodie bags with the dogs. Dexter, Pilot, and Declan also visited patients who could not make it to the station to deliver Valentine's Day cards. She said when you show up with a Valentine's Day card to a patient who isn't able to leave their room, it still brings a sense of normalcy and accomplishment. Because if the kids were in school, they'd probably be having a Valentine's Day party with their classmates. And we want them to still be able to do the things that they'd be doing, even though they're now patients in the hospital during a holiday. Staff at the hospital also got a little Valentine's Day treat ahead of the February 14th. The facility dog set up a smooch-a-pooch booth where the hospital staff members could grab a quick cuddle with one of the pups. All of the facility dogs, by the way, were trained through the organization Canine Companions. The dogs are very intentionally raised from birth to about 18 months with volunteer puppy raisers and then transitioned to professional training with professional dog trainers for six to nine additional months of training, learning 40-plus different task-based skills, all with the end goal of becoming a working dog, which is pretty cool and i've seen that in action so many times when a dog just simply walks into a patient's room their whole demeanor changes a smile comes over their face you see them kind of have a little more energy it really is a special thing there's a commercial with mm-hmm. some little girl on a hospital bed and the dog walks in and she oh yeah you know? and that happens to me and i'm you know i'm not even sick right you, know, you see a dog and you just are you the kind that would cross the street to pet a dog would I? Yes. Probably not. I would. I know you I would. I think I would. A Massachusetts man won a million dollars off a scratch-off ticket that he got from his mom in a Valentine's I Day card. I saw this, and I love it. Isn't that cute? Matthew yeah. Broadley of Tingsboro, Massachusetts, won the million-dollar prize. I hope he at least takes her out to dinner or on a nice vacation. Right? Scratch-off ticket. He bought... He brought the card with him when he went to claim his prize. He decided to take the one-time payment of $650,000. That is pre-tax. Mm-hmm. So he's still going to have to owe taxes on top of that. Taxes on that would be probably the 40% range. 
Yeah, that's still a good amount of money. Maybe thirty-five. I'm not gonna, you know, have to ask Jeff Zufall, but um, yeah, I, what would you do if you bought somebody a scratcher for a stocking stuffer or something, and they won a million bucks? I, I would uh, guilt them into taking me somewhere. I would guilt them into giving it back to me. Oh, stop! How does that work, right? So, like, at like a slot machine, right? Whoever press the button, right? No matter who paid, we've had that story. But so, does that work with scratchers too? Whoever scratched it off is the one who wins, or is it the one who bought the ticket? Possession is nine tenths of the law, right? I think if it if you're doing that with someone, I hope that you're close enough, you're friends enough, you're you're gonna work it out. Uh, what I know was stranger that? things have happened. Yeah. Uh, family rift. All Greed of a sudden. gets in the middle of a lot of things. Sure. And everything, frankly. But uh, what was that story that we had a couple months ago? Some guy met a, a woman at the casino and was letting her paid, put the money in the slot. She was playing the slots and she won a jackpot mm-hmm. and she refused to split it with them. The casino yeah, said uh... she pushed the button. There'll it's, be a lawsuit on that. It's her money. Yeah. It's her we'll money. Uh, we do scratch-offs around Christmas, and I've always wondered, like, what if one of us actually won mm-hmm. a big dollar Big, would, big money. Do we have to split it, or what, could yeah. I just walk out of here with my 15000 or would that— Grandma would, comes back over and hits you with her shoe. Yeah. Says, give me that back. Oh, oh the whole thing. Yeah. No splitting. She just gets it <laughs> No back. splitsies? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Beyonce released a— uh, country single Mm -hmm. texas hold'em it's now charting on the billboard country chart at 54 heidi Uh uh-huh do you know what the highest slot a black woman has ever held on the country charts i don't because i'm trying to think i mean black woman other than i mean Tracy Chapman just won for writing mm-hmm. Fast Car, but she was never on the country charts. Right. It's Linda Martell in 1969 wow. peaked at number 22. So it's not exactly a genre with a lot of no. black women However, in it. However, it is a genre with roots mm-hmm. that oh, yeah. go back to all of the... Uh, this story points out, though, that you know perhaps because the people who in charge of the stations, mm-hmm. even people like Ray Charles, uh, Tina Turner, didn't get to chart on the country stations despite making country songs and albums. Uh, But she's on the charts now. The story is about the controversy. Apparently a lot of listeners to country stations aren't happy that they say it's not country enough for them, I guess. Well, there were a couple country stations that refused to play it, Mm -hmm. and then listeners called in and said yes. It says they had enough requests that they did, although apparently there's other listeners that call in and say, can you stop playing that song? It's not... Not what I want to listen to. Okay, so there's a conflict. Uh, I wonder how far up the charts she'll go with this. Uh, is oh, it really wonder- even country? I know she, they're playing it at the station. She called it country. Is it country, Heidi? We played it a little bit, I think, last week. I or think it's as country as modern day country is for a lot of uh, yeah. mm. artists. I've, I think this is more about the color of her skin. I've got the audio, mm-hmm. and it says it's clean. So let's try to play a little bit of this. Yeah, I mean, mean, it sounds fairly country esque to me. Uh, Yeah, you can go through and listen to 
all of the, you know, top 100. And mm-hmm. I guarantee it's as country as probably a fourth of mm. the songs. There's going to be, you know, other ones that have a little more twang or a little slower. But then you have all of your bro males bro, kind of songs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that uh, Old Town Road by um, Billy Ray yeah. and uh, Lil Nas X. Lil Nas mm-hmm. X. Okay. Was that a country song? Originally. I, I think it was. Yeah. Right? Was it? And that is, yeah. doesn't sound, I mean, that that sounds a lot less country than that song right there. Yeah. But it had Billy Ray Cyrus on it. What Did it get played on country radio? I don't recall. I don't listen to country radio uh locally because they don't play any of the songs that I like. Yeah. They play the same things over and over. If I'm going to listen to the current country music, it's usually the highway on Sirius XM or what I have downloaded already. There's no alt country station or... I mean, highway kind of is. There are Women's co- country station. Yeah, no. no. And, and women don't get played mm. on country yeah, I've heard, I've heard music. So... It's one of those things. You could go back and listen to Casey Musgraves' The Golden Hour, start to finish, which is a great album, every single song. But I would argue that's not not country traditional no, country. I wouldn't have even said that was country at all. Right, but it is. Is it, though? Yes. I mean, is Taylor Swift country? I would say she's not anymore, but she started out country. And even if you go back and listen to those original country songs where she was winning the country music awards i don't know how traditional country it would be does the beyonce song have a fiddle in it that would settle it right now that's not all it takes yeah i would disagree a slide guitar no Mm, is she wearing a, a hat in the video she is wearing a cowboy hat but i again i think that's all you know semantics as far as it goes the the argument and i can say years ago and you can find uh this song she came on one of the award show i don't remember if it was the cmas or the acms with the dixie chicks and they kind of did a mashup it was right i think when her lemonade album came on it's one of my favorites but everybody went crazy because she was at the country music awards and again I, i think it's just proves how far we have to go Mm-hmm. when it comes to race in this country. And you've got uh, a black woman who's a woman. Mm-hmm. Well, that Boy, that's two strikes right. in the country genre. Um, all right, what's your second story? This is a cool one. A school bus driver named Larry Ferris Jr. is known in his community for going above and beyond, and now he is really striking a chord with even strangers after an act of kindness has gone viral. Mr. Larry, as the kids call him, drives a bus in Louisville, and he noticed a little boy named Levi was having a rough morning. He said, normally when I pull up, he's standing there waiting for me with a big smile, but on this particular day, he was on the ground, kind of sitting with his jacket over his head. And so I said, hey, buddy, what's going on? What's wrong? And Levi, a first grader, explained through tears that he didn't have pajamas for pajama day. So Mr. Larry closed the doors, watched as Levi kind of slid into a seat away from his friends. Knowing that Levi wanted to participate but couldn't, filled Mr. Larry with all kinds of sadness, and he thought, I got to do something. 
I can fix this. So after he finished up his morning route, he headed to a family dollar store, purchased two pairs of pajamas for Levi, and then he headed over to Levi's school to make things right. He said, you were hurting this morning. You were crying, so I got you some pajamas. (coughs) And he said immediately (coughs) his face lit up. He hugged his pajamas, cried happy tears. Heidi's getting broken up about this. (coughs) She can't even get through it. Anyway, he, uh, can you read this while I take a drink of water? (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. Um, see, happy, happy tears. Yeah. He had previously worked as a correctional officer. And a truck driver. I said he found his calling. I've been driving buses for seven years. It's my passion because I get to build bonds with the children. I truly love every minute of it. Yeah. Mr. Larry is the absolute best. We were blessed with him as our bus driver for four years, said one person online. So that's a great story. Isn't it? I know. We need more people like Mr. Larry. Um, Finn has pajama day sometimes at school, and uh, I will bring him up there and not be in pajamas. Uh-huh. And I'll go home and get them for him. But sometimes I'll bring him to in wearing his pajamas when it's not pajama day because I just don't want to fight him to take him off. Because d- he doesn't want to wear regular I, clothes. I don't get it. At night, he, he fights us to put his pajamas on, and then in the morning, he fights us when we try to take him off. Well, see, because pajamas at night means it's bedtime. Yeah. Right? But, you got to go to but bed. But clothes in the morning means, means he's got to go to school. Time for school. So I'm like, you know what? If you want to wear your pajamas to school, no skin off my back. <laughs> so we'll get pictures from school sometimes, and all the kids are, you know, around the circle reading, and everyone's wearing normal clothes, and then my son is wearing pajamas. Sometimes it's not worth the fight. A California man received dozens of mysterious Amazon packages at his home over the course of six months. It began with a single envelope containing two machine screws that arrived at his house. Uh, it had his address on it, but it had someone else's name. He tracked down the person whose name was on it, Daniel Williams, and he lived in the nearby, in a nearby town, but he told John DeFore, I didn't order any machine screws. I mean, that's my name, but I didn't order yeah. any screws. Okay. Then all of a sudden, more packages started arriving, including solar panel cables a video game console, Whoa. a digital picture frame, and a portable foot spa. Sounds like a great night, right? Wouldn't you be kind of like weirded out by it, though? Like, he what was. is all of this? He said eventually the packages kept coming and they stopped ordering or opening the packages, he and his wife, and just started sending them back straight away. Yeah. The packages went from being a minor annoyance to a major problem when his Amazon Prime credit card was charged $459 for a sofa that showed up at his house. So somebody had his account? How do you return a sofa? Uh, It's going to cost you. He said his attempts to get a refund were complicated by the fact that the sofa wasn't purchased on his Amazon account, but it was charged to his card anyway. More fraudulent charges followed, totaling about $1,000. 
Amazon finally said that they had resolved the issue and the bank agreed to reverse the charges. And Amazon said that they had to close his account uh, because there was a bad actor involved and that was the extent of it. Uh, And I've had friends who've had their identity stolen. That's a nightmare. And the bank says, all right, we'll take it from here. And you never found out who did it or what Mm -hmm. happened or even if they ever caught him or did anything about it. But... Apparently, there's some sort of scam called a brushing scam. It involves Amazon sellers to send packages to random addresses so they can artificially inflate their, the number of positive reviews. So they send screws to your house, even though you never ordered them. To see if you will keep them? I, I don't know how this scam works because they'll send it to your house. It's not under your name, so it's a fake name. And then under that name, they'll say... Great. I love the screws. Five stars for this seller or something to that effect. Other people who have unsold merchandise will just ship it out of the Amazon warehouse to make sure that they don't get canceled by Amazon. You know, well, Uh, you've got stuff here. Nobody's ordering it. We're just going to stop carrying it. And so they'll, they'll just fraudulently ship it out to make it look like people are still buying it. And then they'll charge other people hoping that they don't see it. A woman received a box containing um, paraphernalia that she never ordered and was charged 500 bucks for it. So sounds like a great gift. Until. Video game console and a foot bath? That's Friday night right there for me. Man. But then a sofa shows up. Probably still end up uh, positive here on this transaction. Yeah. You're right. Save a little money. So what? You had to buy a five hundred dollar couch. Yeah, you even yeah, to get you got, all this other free stuff. You had a PlayStation and a foot bath. Out of yeah, it. man. <laughs> I don't know. Here's what I do know: is that kids are going to have a fantastic time this summer at Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp. If you have a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, a child who's really into the arts, and it can be dance, it could be music, it could be singing, it could be painting. Well, the Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp is where your kids need to be this summer. The camp runs from July 8th through July 19th, and it's open to students from all districts entering grades 5 through 12, and you can do one-week or two-week camps, and there's just a very small fee. And if you have sent your kids to camp before, you know that camp can be really expensive. Well, this one, the Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp, only 40 bucks, And they are going to learn from industry professionals. I mean, they're getting real hands-on experience in all sorts of things, instrumental and vocal music, theater, dance, the visual arts. So you can enroll your child now. It's Enrollment's happening now through July 5th, and it will fill up because it's so popular you can learn more and enroll today. Just go to GrandCenterArtsAcademy.org. It's 531, and we need to check back in with Captain Paul Kopsky. Hopefully things are clearing up a bit. Well, today police in Kansas City say one of three suspects in this week's mass shooting at the end of the Chiefs Victory Parade had been released. Two suspects remain in custody. Alex Stone, ABC News correspondent, joins us with the latest. Have they now been charged as well? They have, yeah, the the two who remain in custody. The the third may face charges as well for uh, gun possession, but police don't think was involved in the actual shooting. And so that third person has been released. But charges were finally filed today uh, on 
two of the, the three, and it's gun charges and resisting arrest, but they are juveniles, and I hesitate calling them children because the definition of a child is uh, up to the age of puberty, and it seems that these were likely teens well beyond puberty and, and were nearly adults, um, but, but they're being held at the, the Kansas City Juvenile Detention Center right now. We don't know their exact age, uh, just based on, on witness videos as they were being detained, and that, that the family court today said more charges are likely coming. So we don't know if that means that they're going to be tried, they'll be charged as adults. Then we would learn a lot more about them, or if it's going to be uh, some kind of attempted murder or murder counts, if that's even possible, um, uh, against uh, the, the juveniles. But because we don't know how, uh, because they're, they're considered minors, we don't know how old they are exactly. We don't know the exact charges. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. And all court hearings will be away from the public, will be in private, because they're considered children, in a sense, and that, that they won't be known. But if they change that to trying them as an adult, then it would all go public at that point and would be like any other case. And we're hearing today from more of those heroes who stopped the alleged shooters as they were trying to, to run away. Paul Contreras is one of them, one of the, the heroes who tackled a shooter, and he told us this. I'm right here, and I just, I never think about it. I did just a reaction. I didn't hesitate. It was just, just do it. So I went to go tackle him, and another gentleman did the same thing. And as I'm tackling him, I see his weapon either fall out of his hand or out of his sleeve because he was wearing a long jacket or like a Carhartt. So when I see that hit the ground, I'm like, oh, you know, we got to take this guy down. And he did, and, and he told our team it felt like forever as they were yelling to get cops over there. Cops didn't see what was going on, and they, they, they had him down. He says probably 30 seconds or so, but it felt like forever in that moment. And then finally one cop showed up. Then another cop showed up, but we were just, all our weight was on. We couldn't let him get up. So we're just holding him down, holding him down, finding the cops get there. And then he said he didn't know what to do. He got up, and the police went in and put on the, the handcuffs. And then he stood there with his daughters and went, uh, okay, I guess we get in the car and drive home. He said they lived several hours away. They had come into Kansas City for the celebration. And he said then they walked back to their car and, and drove several hours home, and it was kind of over. And nobody got his name, nobody thanked him, nothing like that. But now police are, are publicly thanking him, saying that all these people who jumped in, that they – helped catch the the killers uh, alleged killers who otherwise probably would have run away but uh, but jackson county family court saying there will be more there will be more charges what they're going to be we don't yet know alex do we know if these two suspects did they know each other do we know what started this fight we don't know any of that again because they're minors uh, it's all under seal and police are limited in what they can say other than they believe that it was an argument where then guns came out and they started firing but Beyond that, we don't know. And Alex, you've sadly covered many of these type shootings uh, involving minors or children or teens or whatever you want to classify them as. Do they generally sense the nature of, of what happened and, and how many people were injured? Do they normally get charged as adults? It depends on how old they are. If they're 10, probably not. If they're 16 or 17, there's, a, at least in many states, a high likelihood that they would be. Um, and based on the gravity of this, of 23 people who were injured and one who was killed, and a lot more who were then hurt not from gunfire but from running away and panic attacks and, and all of that, that uh, it, it kind of depends on the, the circumstances and how old they are. 
and because we don't know how old they are, it's just yeah, I guess that they're on the older side of their, their teenage years, that uh, it, it could go either way. Um, as of right now, they're being treated as I mean, the equivalent of children in juvenile detention center and not, as far as we know, not murder charges, not attempted murder, but um, that, that could change. And by next week, they could be adults in the, in the court sense, and it would be a very different case against them. And the information coming from the Kansas City Police has been slow if withholding. Is that normal as well in something like this? It has been very slow, and I think some of it is because of the, the age of the suspects, at least in the giving information once they, they had them in custody. Um, some of it is just how police departments work, and, I mean, quite honestly, media in a local community and how much pressure they put on the police department to, and what, how they work with that police department to, uh, to demand information quickly. Um, but it, it has been slow. I thought they were very slow getting out that it was not an active shooter. It was really a day. It was until yesterday that they put that to rest and said that this was a fight. There's a big difference in the community between active shooter and an argument where guns you know, were used and they started shooting at each other. So you're right. I, I mean, compared to some areas where almost immediately a chief or a sheriff would have come out and said, look, we want to let you know this was not an active shooter. This was an argument. This was street crime. For it to take 24, 36 hours, that's a long time. Yeah. All right, Alex Stone, thanks for your report. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Time to talk a little entertainment news. And I just saw that uh, Patrick Mahomes and Brittany Mahomes visited a couple of kids that were in the hospital, which I love hearing that. This story just makes me so sick. I know. I know, but it's just another day in the United States of America. I heard, what, there's 45 days in the year so far, and there have been 48 Mm -hmm. mass shootings, more than one a day. It's hard to believe, but Jennifer Lopez would be insecure in any relationship, but yesterday on the Today Show, she admitted that she gets jealous if somebody hits on her man. She said, quote, don't play with me, do not play with me. Oh, no. But she added that things won't get physical. She said, I'm a lover, not a fighter, but I will let them know in a very elegant, ladylike way to step all the way off. She has a new album out today, This Is Me Now, which is her ninth album. It's inspired by her rekindled love with Ben Affleck. She also released a film on Prime Video called This Is Me Now, a love story, which I might have to watch. Do you think that Ben Affleck gets hit on a lot? Yes. Is he a sexy guy? I think he's sexy and he's Ben Affleck. Are Eight, you kidding? Right. 84126. I don't know. Have you seen the back tattoo? The back <laughs> tattoo is a little uh, jarring. But I'm going to tell you, every single one of these people, just go ahead and say they are 25 to 50% more attractive than you even think they are. In person. In person. Yeah. I, it, uh, yep. So I, I've never seen him in person, but I'm going to tell you, He's going to be extremely handsome. I hear that all the time. I mean, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Heidi Klum, you can't even. Jennifer Lopez. You interviewed J-Lo. It is shocking how stunning Mm. she is in person. Paul McCartney's long lost, is it a Hofner bass guitar? Yeah, the Hofner bass. Yeah has finally been found. It's been called the most important bass in history because it was used in the creation and recordings of dozens 
of Beatles classics. It was stolen from the back of a van in the Notting Hill area of London in 72. But Paul finally got it back thanks to a grassroots campaign called the Lost Base Project. Members were able to track down the original thief who led them to the person he sold it to. From there, they traced its journey over the past 50-plus years until it was finally located in the attic of a home on the south coast of England. The homeowner didn't even know the history of the base, and within days it was back in Paul's possession, and he's incredibly grateful to have it back. While it needs some minor repairs, it's still complete, has its original case, and can easily be made playable again. Um, When Rock Band, remember Rock Band? You know, the video game, and you played the little fake guitar, and you could play the drums. When Beatles Rock Band came out, you could buy a special guitar that looked just like that bass guitar. Yep. The did you, viol- did the you buy bass. it? I never did. And as big of a fan I am, I need to pick that up. I've always wanted to learn drums. Yep. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll get started on the rock band drums and at least get my rhythm down. And go there. Yeah. I always think the bass player is the coolest person in the band. Uh, the way they just kind of stand there. And a lot of times they've, they've got a girl bass player. Yeah. So sexy. The Hollywood Reporter has chosen the 50 best TV shows of the 21st century so far. And the top 15, Atlanta, which I've heard is great. That's on FX. I got to get into it. Enlightened, I've never heard of. It's on HBO. 30 for 30 ESPN, which is great. The Americans, The Daily Show, BoJack Horseman. That's a cartoon, right? Animated series. Freaks and Geeks, which that's always on the list, and I never got into that. I watched it. It was uh, Seth Rogen. Yeah. um, Who's his buddy from Pineapple Express? The weirdo. James Franco. James Franco. Yeah. Girls, Better Call Saul, Reservation Dogs, The Wire, 30 Rock, Succession is number three, The Sopranos number two, and at the top of the list. Breaking Bad. Mad Men. Oh. Breaking Bad was 16, actually. Really? Yeah. I would have put it higher, but anyway. Brian Wilson is suffering from dementia, and his team is seeking a conservatorship, which I hate to hear that. That's kind of sad. John Hamm is joining Billy Bob Thornton in the upcoming series by the creator of Yellowstone. That can be interesting. Meryl Streep is returning uh, for season four of Only Murders in the Building. Rod Stewart just sold his song catalog for $100 million. That seems kind of low considering right. what we've seen people getting for it. Bruce Springsteen got 500 Yeah. Million. And Morgan Wallen is opening his own bar in Nashville this summer. I feel like there's no more space for bars and honky talks, but I guess when you have that many people visiting, okay, it's going to be six stories tall, span 30,000 square feet. It's going to be called This this Bar after his song of the same name from a few years ago. And then just a couple of birthdays worth mentioning. The Weeknd is only 34 years old. Yeah. John McEnroe is 65, and then Ice-T is 66, and that's your evening entertainment report here on the Big 550 KTRS. If Nashville doesn't do something about this, it'll be like Vegas. It already is. And it is so expensive to go up and down that street. Uh, It's so expensive to live there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
wrap this snowy Friday up with a couple randoms. Just a really random random really quickly. A Danish man, you know how much we love world records, stuck 68 matches oh, up his nose. Why? For the new record. He broke the old record, which was 45 matches. Oh, he really blew that one out of the water. Yeah, he'll hold on to that one for a while. There's a museum of failure in Sweden which showcases hundreds of failed products. It shows how innovation requires risk-taking and failure. I like that. Mariah Carey had number one singles for 11 straight years, starting with Vision of Love, which I really love that song. Yeah, that was a good one. In 1990 and ending with Thank God I Found You in 2000. Hmm. And after Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe started a movie called The Woman in Black in 2012. It was a remake of a 1989 movie starring Adrian Rollins. Who happened to play Harry's father Oh, in the Potter movies? Okay. I see how that comes full circle there. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, I hope that you have uh, stayed safe. Hope you're warm. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And I hope you meet us right back here Monday at 3 o'clock. Until then, see if you can put a smile on somebody's face. Whatever gets you through the night.